We've already been through the book of Deuteronomy, and as you notice, as you turn there, it is near the beginning of the, of the Bible, therefore it's uh, near the beginning of creation. So from the very beginning, God was giving his people directions. And I want you to listen carefully to what he says. Starting in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Listen carefully. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them the symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 7, it says, Impress them on your children. God has given... His decrees, His laws, His commands, and His instructing us, commanding us, just as He was commanding the people of Israel, to impress God's commands on our children. In other words, to teach them diligently. Not just tell them, but maybe tell them repeatedly, tell them in a manner so that it stays with them throughout their lives. Impress them upon your children. It's so funny. Somebody sent me a, an article this week on why the church has such a long history of leading in education. We see even in Deuteronomy where it commands on the teaching of our children. I want to read you a little bit of this article that somebody sent me this week. Some people think that Christian interest in education is only instrumental. In other words, we start schools so we can tell our kids about Jesus Christ and how to become Christians. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that, but the Christian understanding of education goes much deeper. Throughout human history, whenever the church is, wherever the church has gone, education has followed. Now, I'm pause there just a second. Can you think of any missionary that has ever come to this church and told us about their mission work? And it seems like they go there, they start a church, and not long afterwards, they start a school. Education has always followed the message of Christianity. I'll continue in the article. This is because of how Christianity understands life in the world, particularly the nature of reality itself and the human person. Education doesn't make sense in a worldview that is only about survival. But within a worldview that says that the world itself came from a first cause that is intelligent, reasonable, and knowable, and that is important, wants to be known, 
There is solid grounding for actual knowledge and therefore education. Christianity says that God has made us in his image. In other words, not only is God knowable, but humans are knowers. So the act of learning is nothing less than, as Johannes Kepler put it, thinking God's thoughts after him, knowing God's world leads to knowing God, and knowing God is what life is all about. The church has a history of leading in education. All started in the Old Testament. One more paragraph I'm going to read. In India, a hundred years ago, a carpenter or a fisherman or a shepherd did not go to school. But what you find in the New Testament is a tent maker writing, a shepherd writing, a fisherman writing. Where did they learn to read and write? They entered the synagogue. The priest on the Sabbath was the teacher. And he was also a master educating others during the five days of the rest of the week. The church has a history. Christianity, godly people, people that follow God, have a history of leading an education. In fact, it really doesn't make any sense. I love how that article talks about it. It doesn't make sense if you don't believe that God created a world to really be educated. The church has a history of leading. But something has happened. The church has decided to step away from that leadership position. And really handed over to an atheist, Marxist philosophy. But our schools are so good. Public education works. Does it? Nation's report card shows test scores at lowest level in decades. The new Nation's report card is out and the results are grim. Test scores are at their lowest level in decades with steep declines in both reading and math proficiency in nearly every state. You can find article after article, the dumbing down of K-4 education. Now, there's some excerpts from this article, and I actually put these up there because I want you to see them. I want you to be able to read them as I read them to you. The inability of U.S. students to perform on par with the majority of other developed nations should cause alarm, given its implications for Americans' global leadership. Instead, while other countries take their K-12 education seriously, American leaders are satisfied with pumping more money into an outdated system that continues to fail students and produce mediocre results. Here's the sad truth. 25 countries outperform U.S. K-12 students. 25 countries. I don't even know if we can name 25 countries. Those leading the way are China, Hong Kong, Finland, Singapore, South Korea, Japan, and Canada. China students not only place first overall, but they dominate each individual subject as well. And if you go back in history, U.S. used to dominate every single subject for decades and decades and decades. All of this is new. I say new within the last 40 or 50 years. U.S. students struggle 
in at 33rd in math, 23rd in science, and 17th in reading. The reality is even worse than the weak performance on average. The majority of U.S. public school students do not achieve grade-level proficiency. The nation's report card reveals that only 28.7% of 4th graders, 26.4% of 8th graders, and a mere 22.8% of 12th graders reach basic proficiency levels averaged across 7 subjects. Civic, Geography, Mathematics, Reading, Science, U.S. History, and Writing on the National Assessment of Educational Progress Test. In other words, over 71% of our students lack basic academic proficiencies at the end of their 13-year K-12 schooling. You can't debate those facts. You can't debate those numbers. And honestly, it's been, we get reports like that about every year. Same story, just a little bit worse. Same story, just a little bit worse. So honestly, we got to the point where we just accept it. But we're doing a greater harm than we even realize. Here's a little video I want to show you on Jordan Peterson um, talking about education. You're going to love this. I recently sat down with world-renowned psychologist and author Dr. Jordan Peterson. We talked about a number of things, including education versus indoctrination and his mission to fight the far-left woke agenda in schools, maybe your school, as well as why Gen Zs can't cut it in the workforce. Not all of you, but some of you, and how we can help them. You got a new study showing new 2023 hires are unprepared for work, they're unprepared for life. Dr. Peterson's take on all of this, especially for parents, is fascinating. Watch. When this study popped up, we thought, you got to weigh in on this. They say that Gen Zers come in, they're sincere, but if they have no necessary instinct on what to do next, find them a lot sitting idly by waiting for instructions on what to do next. Does that make sense to you? Something about this generation that would have trouble being self-motivated. Well, I think that if you set up an education system that's designed to do nothing but demoralize young people and to convince them that their ambition is dangerous and, well, even world-threatening for that matter, a manifestation of patriarchal oppression on the social front and then a danger to the survival of the planet on the natural front, then and you don't do anything to foster that ambition and to channel it into a manner that might be productive and to tell young people why their ambition might be useful, then you're going to get exactly that. So you hit what you aim at if you try hard enough, and the education system has been trying to demoralize people for 60 years. One of the, one of the things that really stuns me, you know, I haven't been able to figure this out yet, I've been trying to talk to Republican governors about this. I cannot understand why conservatives have been daft enough to allow the faculties of, educa of education to retain their hammerlock on teacher certification for the last 60 years. It's insane. You mean I, the criteria to get the certification and what's exactly. in it? You have to be trained in a faculty of education to become a teacher. Why? They're the most woke element of the entire rotten university carcass. And they have the hammerlock on 50% of the state budgets. You know, the conservatives are always complaining about the culture war. It's like, well, you handed all the young people to the faculties of education, right? Their research is terrible. It's low rate. Their students are generally uh, very uh, incompetent, comparatively speaking, on the academic front, you know. 
It's foolish. It, and this is the outcome. It's not surprising. And it's a way to, to work on the foundation. And when you have an RNC chair or a DNC chair, if you have an agenda, that's what to work on. Don't get Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, candidate elected. Start focusing on, on the direction you want the country in and find out how to, um, how to give people an education that will allow them to at the very least think but now what to think? Well, the left-wingers in the 1960s were far-seeing enough, the more radical types, to envision a decades-long march through the institutions, right? And one of their goals was the capture of educational institutions, and that's happened completely. And that's been absolutely abetted by conservatives who tend to get lost in the details. And, um, well, then you think now you have young people who are demoralized and directionless, well, they're never taught anything about how to acquire a direction. So that's all you have to do if you want to motivate young people is to teach them a bit of visionary discipline and encourage it. And we do the opposite of that. Plus, we terrify them, trigger warnings. We tell them that everything's dangerous. The thing I want you to understand is you see that you hear words like conservative and, and liberal. And you think, well, this is a political issue. Education is not a political issue. Did you hear what I read earlier? It is a biblical issue. It is a biblical issue. Now, everybody sees the direction we're going and the consequences that are happening, uh, but very few people are trying to fix it. In fact, they're going a step further and are taking steps to even make it worse. And here's some articles, uh, some headlines of some articles. I'll read them to you, just the headlines. Um, they're trying to make the schools more woke. Work schools, how parents, teachers fight progressive ideology. You got how public schools went woke and what to do about it. Parents are sounding the alarm on woke education for good reason. Well, what is a woke school? In general, a woke school is one that actively embraces diversity, equity, and inclusion in its curriculum and culture. And this is their definition. This means that the school prioritizes social justice issues such as racism and sexism in its teachings, because that's obviously the most important thing we could be teaching, right? And encourages students to think critically about the world around them. A work school also emphasizes empathy and compassion for those who have been marginalized or oppressed in society. Something about that. Nothing about teaching God in our schools and God's commands. In fact, let's teach them things. I didn't hear anything about history or reading or math. No, let's teach. Uh, let's prioritize social justice issues, racism and sexism. In other words, let's indoctrinate is what they're saying there. Uh, what school district pulls advanced math for being too white. This is the thinking that is going on today. The process of phasing out math started in 2017. The Boston Globe reported that advanced math students were primarily white and Asian. While lower level courses mostly had black and Hispanic students. Cambridge Public Schools noticed this trend before, but things only worsened due to the pandemic. This led to all four middle school students or middle schools and Cambridge Public Schools to axe teaching algebra one because it's racist. 
this is where we're going. Make sure you're aware. That's one of my main reasons for, for, um, for the sermon today is to make sure that you're aware. Part of the woke education system is uh, social emotional learning. And that's just not my opinion, but I, put, uh, I found this article that uh, Florida governor is uh, trying to take it out of the Florida schools because he understands that it's part of the woke education. And the reason why I'm pointing this out because it should hit a little close to home with our Barbers Hills School. It's a pretty high on the social, emotional learning. What about morality? How do you think the morality is in the, in the public school or in our schools? I could have did a number of pages of this. I just did a couple of pages. Uh, so easy to find over 200000 um, dollars being spent on drag queen shows at New York City schools. D.C. public schools host drag queen performance for high school. Story hour, how drag queen shows for minors have become increasing. A public school district took middle schoolers to a drag show. I was going to say without parents' consent. Pennsylvania school hosts drag show for kids without parent consent. Elementary kids get special surprise drag performance at school. And school organizers celebrate Pride Month with drag shows. That's going to say for minors. This is what's happening with your education system in America. And it's not getting better, and it's getting worse. And I'll tell you that because it is our responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility, and it's the church's responsibility. The education of children for God is the most important business done on earth. I love that quote. It's from a theologian that lived in the 1800s. The education of children for God. The education of children for God. You want to know what the world looks like when you take God out of education? When you quit educating children for God? Just go back and read all those articles. We're seeing what is happening. So now we need to do something about it. When think about it, this isn't the first time in the church's history that we've seen a problem with education we've seen it before but one thing about before is that the church actually stepped in and did something I don't know if you were here at 10 o'clock this morning but at our church we have Sunday school do you know where Sunday school came from do you know why it started I'll give you a little history lesson to let you find out from 1702 to 1801, the population of England doubled. As more people moved to the cities to find work, the traditional ties to church and community were severed. As a result, several generations of children grew up without religious instruction, and this led to a serious social breakdown at the time. Child workers with Sundays off would create a tremendous disturbance in the towns where they lived. 
Robert Rakes, a newspaper publisher, pondered the fate of these youngsters without schooling or religious training and decided to set up schools for these children to attend on Sundays, their only day off. He hired women to teach them to read and a local minister, Thomas Stock, to give them religious instruction. The school lasted from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and rewards were given to those who mastered their lessons. The change in their behavior and attitude was remarkable, so remarkable that by 1785 a Sunday school society was formed to distribute Bibles and spelling books. Rakes was also instrumental in beginning a similar ministry in prisons. His faith and vision introduced the concept of Bible teaching for the masses in the local church setting on a regular basis. The style and organization of Sunday school has changed, but the basic premise, teaching each person to know and apply the scriptures, and the approach, the local church, remains the same. Each Sunday, most churches now offer structured Bible learning programs for both children and adults. Let's take advantage of this marvelous way of teaching our children and instructing ourselves in God's Word. After all, unlike the working children of 18th century England, we also have Saturdays off. That's the history of, of Sunday school. Did you know that history? How'd you like the Sunday school? Did you see how long it lasted? All day. All day, because they weren't just teaching God's Word, but they were teaching the kids to read and write as well. There was an education void, and the church stepped in and fixed it. We obviously see an education void today. But what are we doing about it? For most of us, most of us as Christians, our, our head's just in the sand. Well, I don't know if I believe all of that. And I, anyway, I got my own life and I'll do my own job. And, and I believe what the world was telling me. It's not that bad. Most of us, I dare say, remember when we were in school. And one of our thoughts, I went to a public school my entire life. I would go to public school and I would tell everybody, it wasn't that bad. We didn't worship Satan, didn't sacrifice cats. Didn't do anything really evil. We were just kids, and most of my uh, teachers were very moral. Most of them were probably even Christian people. It wasn't that bad. It taught me to read and write, and, and I may not pay attention, a little bit of history and other things like that. In our mind, that is our thinking. And so we still think it's the same thing that is going on today. But hopefully, by even some things I've showed you today, maybe some things you've seen in the news, you need to pay attention because it's a lot different now. It is a lot different now. And I believe it is the church's responsibility to step in and do something about it. I believe this very passionately. So Nathaniel got a job at Chick-fil-A. I think he's... Uh, if you don't mind me telling, I don't think y'all really care. Uh, but I think he's making like $14 an hour. So I told him, it's like, hey, um, the amount of money I get from, I teach here five days a week or whatever um, for eight hours a day. And I think Nathaniel and his very, and I've got my doctorate degree and uh, 
had a lot of experience in his first job. He's probably going to make in the first year probably triple what I make from teaching. Because I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it because there's a need there. I'm doing it because our future depends on it. This isn't something I just, oh, I'm bored. I think I'll, I'll go work in a school all day or that's an easy job. I think I'll be a teacher. By the way, it's not an easy job. But it is the most important job that we can be doing. And I want you to understand that because if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, you're held responsible too. And the church has always been so generous. We don't ask the church for, we ask for what, money on projects or something. Church doesn't give the school any money, and, and that's not the most important thing we want from our congregation. The number one thing we want from you is we want you to pray. Pray earnestly. Pray for the students. Pray for the teachers. Pray for protection from us. You pray for us. But then you also pray for yourself and you ask God, what can I do? Because one thing about it, I look out here and I see a lot of uh, experienced, mature people. I didn't say old. I said experienced, mature people. And just on your experience alone, you have a lot to offer young people. I'm going to ask you to come be a teacher. I'm asking you to pray to God. Maybe he wants you to come and talk to him for one day. Well, I don't know what to talk about. Tell him about you. I told you as Nathaniel gets out in the world, he's experiencing all sorts of things, and he's going to experience more things. And it's good for him, it's good for all of our students to hear our stories. This is what life was like when I was young. These are issues I had. These are problems that I had. This is how I came to know God. And this is how I came to know God more intimately. Because those are the most important things. Our God is a great God. And one day we will be in a sweet by and by with Him. But while we're here, we need to be working. And for whatever reason, you talk to God about it if you don't like it, but he has brought me here. He has brought a group of people here to teach young people during the week. And God is doing an amazing work. And it's a much-needed work. But I think God wants you involved too. Whether it's by praying, whether it's come talk to the kids. Maybe it's just come and hanging out with the kids. We think about children that... Uh, um, Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. To see them grow, to see them learn, to be able to impact them. And remember, somebody is impacting these kids. Somebody is going to impact them. Mom and dad's impacting them. Family members are impacting them. Whoever their teachers are impacting them. Friends they hang around are impacting them. Things they watch on TV is impacting them. Music they listen to is impacting them. We need to make sure that we're doing all part as Christians to impact them as well. 